John chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been taken in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, 
Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The gospel of the Lord. Father in heaven, will you uh, grant us ears to hear what you are saying through the scriptures? In Jesus' name, amen. John, please come. Thank you very much indeed, Jim, uh, for your welcome to be here. It's uh, always a privilege to be back um, here at Emmanuel. Just a little bit of background. It was a bit over 14 years ago that Christchurch set up this congregation as known as the West Village Church. We'd set it up out of... Uh, the Christchurch that meets at East 87th Street, and I see quite a number of you still part of that here. Um, and in 2016, we went through the process of resetting this West Village congregation as Emmanuel and inviting Jim to be the senior minister. Well, you might like to turn back to the first part of the reading that we've had this morning. You'll find it on page seven. One of the things I love about the Bible is its earthy realism. It understands the world we live in, the good and the bad, the joy and the sadness. Anyone who thinks about life knows that there are many things that cause us to stop and ask questions. For as well as the unfairness we so often feel in our own lives, there are larger realities of droughts and famines, floods, destruction, earthquakes, and loss of life. If there is a good, all-powerful, compassionate God, why doesn't he do something? It seems so out of character that he doesn't. The only sort of faith that is immune to these kinds of questions is a blind faith, a faith that closes its mind to reality, a faith that is irrational and cowardly. It's the kind of faith that deserves the contempt of the skeptic, for it only confirms that believers are pathetic weaklings needing the crutch of faith to limp through life. Real faith has to confront the evil and suffering of the world. It has to accept the experiences of doubt that accompany these kinds of questions. Now, some people think that to have doubts is to lack faith. But what we need to understand is that doubt is not the opposite of faith. To suggest that it is, is to confuse doubt with unbelief. Doubt and unbelief are two very different things. Doubt is something only a believer can experience. For you can only doubt 
what you believe. So with those thoughts in mind, come with me to the first part of this reading from John chapter 11. Just have a look at verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister Mary. As this chapter unfolds, let me identify three scenes that all involve a cry. First, a cry for help. So this first scene is very real. Jesus' very good friend Lazarus was ill. And Lazarus's two sisters, uh, two sisters who knew Jesus so well cried for help. And we can just imagine what was going through the minds of both Martha and Mary. I wish he would hurry. He's going to be too late. Why doesn't he come? And as the days wore on and they watched their brother die, we would understand if they would say to one another, doesn't he care? It's the kind of cry many of us have heard when we learn that a loved one or a close friend has died. Why didn't God intervene? He could have done it. Doesn't he care? But what did Jesus do? He deliberately stayed away. Just have a look at verse 4. When Jesus heard about the, uh, the news of Lazarus being sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed away two more days. Why would he do this? His good friends, friends that he loved, were grief-stricken, and yet he delayed. John gives us the answer. He tells us that Jesus told his disciples that this was to be, for what? The glory of God. And that helps us to begin to answer questions that trouble us. God had a bigger plan in the midst of the suffering. God had a bigger plan in the midst of the suffering. But what that was only becomes clear as the narrative unfolds. So this brings us to a second cry, a cry of grief. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Jesus had delayed so that it was not until four days, Lazarus having died, that he turned up. And the grief and the pain of the two sisters was palpable. As Martha and Mary's responses are much the same, we can assume that they had compared notes with each other. We can feel the passion of Martha's rebuke of Jesus. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It was the cry of pain of everyone down through the angels, 
who has a faith and who felt the pain of grief and loss when someone close dies, a partner, a child, a parent, a brother, a sister, or a friend. Lord, why weren't you here? Lord, why didn't you do something? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mother, Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Martha assumed that Jesus was speaking about a general resurrection on the final day of history. Yes, there will be a final day of history. That's found in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. She believed that there would be a day at the end of time when her brother would be raised to life again. If Jesus was no more than a prophet or a teacher, he would have agreed with Martha's theology. But Jesus didn't mean what Martha felt he meant. Just look at verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. These are breathtaking words. He uses the very words God used when he disclosed his name to Moses. I am. Unless Jesus was coordinate, was one with God, his words are nothing short of utter blasphemy. And I'm sure you notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I promise resurrection and life, nor did he say, I procure or I bring resurrection and life. Rather, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. A bold, startling statement. It was statements like that that led C.S. Lewis to comment, the man was either a liar or a lunatic or telling the truth. The witness of the New Testament, the evidence of history, the existence of the Christian church down through the ages, all point to the conclusion that Jesus' words are the truth. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have no certainty about the future. We might hope that we are good enough to achieve eternal life one day, we might sense that there is a life beyond the grave, but whether we're going to participate in that, we've got no, cert no certainty. For every one of us knows that there have been, we've had times of failure in our lives. Usually failures that we don't want to talk about, let alone anyone else know about. Did Martha understand all this? Probably not. And Jesus moved on to meet her sister Mary. Look at verse 28. After Martha had said or responded to Jesus' words, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And I've skipped down a couple of verses. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, Jesus is rebuked for not having come sooner. But unlike Martha, Mary allows her grief to flow. And then John tells us that Martha and Mary weren't the only ones to grieve. Just look at verse 35. Jesus wept. A little bit of a, an aside. This is the shortest verse in the whole of the Bible. How telling, how poignant, how stuck it is. Jesus wept. It shows us how human he is. The word John uses describes the deep anguish cry of grief. It was the cry of heartfelt loss, the kind of grief that explodes from down deep within us. Why did Jesus react this way? He didn't weep like this when news came that Jairus' daughter had died. Certainly Lazarus was a close friend, but Jesus knew that he was going to pull him out of the grave. So let's think about this. Jesus wasn't grieving for Lazarus. He was grieving for our human plight. Men and women who had been created in God's image were now broken images, and broken images could not endure the pure lights of God's perfection and glory. Men and women born with so much promise are condemned to death. Jesus was grieving then for what we had lost. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as in Adam, all die. But more than this, there's a sense in which Jesus was grieving about what our loss would mean for him. It had meant that he himself would have to die. Part of the grief we feel when a loved one around us dies arises from our heightened awareness that we too will have to tread the path of death one day ourselves. For no matter how successful we are, how good and compassionate we are, death awaits us all. At Lazarus's graveside, Jesus felt the full impact of this and he wept. He groaned deeply. But there's a further element to this deep cry of Jesus. He knew that through his death alone, that he would be conquering death, and that for those who believed in him, there would be resurrection life beyond the grave forever. As in Adam, all die, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus was also grieving because he knew that there would be a period of waiting before the full impact of what he was about to do through his death and resurrection would be experienced. And so we could say that he was grieving then with the generations who would follow 
who had experienced the loss of loved ones in this time between his, the events of his death and resurrection and the time of his return. Jesus was grieving then with us when we grieve today. A cry for help, a cry from the heart, a cry of triumph. Just look at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus, come out. Just imagine the scene, a graveyard, a cave and a hillside filled with bodies and bones. The stench of rotting bodies as the gravestone was rolled, as rolled aside. And Jesus standing at the entrance, shouting out. They must have thought he was mad, but he didn't hesitate. Significantly, Jesus' words were not a prayer to God, but a command to the dead. And notice that he used the dead man's name, Lazarus. Just think what would have happened if he had said, come out. Everyone in that tomb would have come out. Do you believe that? As Lazarus appeared in his grave clothes, Jesus called for some practical action. Get him out of the grave clothes. A shroud is no longer appropriate for him. A breathtaking moment. We can only imagine the stunned silence before the explosion of people shouting and talking with joy, all talking at once. We may think that men and women have come a long way today in understanding and harnessing quantum chemistry, physics, medicine, but nothing compares with the naked power that Jesus wielded at that moment. The scene is a picture of a time yet to come when Jesus will once again appear on the stage of world events. On that day, he'll cry out in a loud voice so that everyone will hear, come forth and all the dead from throughout time will rise.
That's the day that Martha and Mary and Lazarus and all who turn to Jesus look forward to. It's a day I look forward to. Is it a day that you look forward to? It helps us begin to answer our question that we began with. We see here that Jesus doesn't always give a yes to our prayers because he has a bigger plan. It's not because he doesn't love us or care for us. He does far more than we can even begin to understand or even feel. In times of suffering, we should remember that God in Jesus Christ has experienced every agony that we have experienced. He has been where we have been. We may not always understand our plight or the plight of others around us, but we can be comforted and comfort others in the sure knowledge that God in Christ has tasted the agony of injustice, the pain of suffering, ignominy, and death. I put a quote from, uh, I asked that a quote from Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician, French mathematician, philosopher, and also physicist, wrote in his Pensee. It's in the front of the bulletin. The God of Christians is not a God who is simply the author of mathematical truths or the order of the elements, but the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Christians, is a God of love and of comfort, a God who fills the soul and heart of those whom he possesses, a God who makes them conscious of their, conscious of their inward wretchedness and his infinite mercy, who unites himself to their inmost soul, who fills it with humility and joy, with confidence and love, who renders them incapable of any other end than himself. Jesus is our comfort because he shared our humanity to the full. He too has experienced the pain of loss. He too has faced the reality of death himself. It makes his words, I am the resurrection and the life all the more real, all the more powerful and heartfelt. For with these words, Jesus is not just pointing to a spiritual resurrection, but to physical life beyond the grave. But Jesus doesn't stop there, because back in verse 26, he had a question for Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life, he'd said. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Then he flicks a question to Martha. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ. You see, we can have a head knowledge 
of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, but does that head knowledge impact our heartfelt response? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. In his poem, Dover Beach, Matthew Arnold identifies the cries and the hopelessness that lie in many a human heart. The world that seems to lie before us like a land of dreams so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy nor love, nor light nor certitude, nor peace nor help for pain. And we are here as on a darkling plain swept with confused alarms and of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. So let me ask, where in the world do you look for hope this morning? In your abilities, your resources, your success, in political solutions, there's no real answer apart from Jesus Christ. Because he has come, because he has died in our place, because he has now risen from the dead, we can hope. The cries from our heart have been heard. The day will come when a powerful, supreme voice will reverberate throughout the universe. Come forth. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.